Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your hosts, Dr. Doug Carriger and Mrs. Stephanie Wesco. Great to be back with you, folks. Thanks for taking this opportunity to be with us today. So we're uh, so Stephanie's got a little bit of time off this week. Well, we're playing back some workshop videos, but don't worry, we'll be back. Uh, what I want to do is play some videos for some recent churches. I thought they'd be a blessing to you, give you an idea how we consolidate a subject from a couple hours down to like a forty-five minute class or a thirty-minute class, and give you a little bit of that so you know what's going on with us. Uh, uh, just pray for us as you listen to this. We're actually actually, uh, I think, getting ready to leave for Bemidji, Minnesota. So still, while you listen to this, you can get a hold of us if uh, you're interested in coming to a conference way up in the North Country up there in Bemidji, Minnesota. So just below Canada and Minnesota, if you can make it out to a PTSD conference, we'd love to have you. We're just going to go ahead and play our way again through this. There's a little bit of humming, but I think you'll enjoy this video and you'll get something from it. And it's going to start off as kind of silly, but I want to hear the, I want you to hear the introduction on how we get going and things like that at our church. And uh, this particular video is just a wonderful group of people. So hop on board with us and listen in. Here we go. Yeah. So I got to be up front. I stole one of those Huckleberry cookies. Have you guys ever had a Huckleberry cookie before? <laughs> they told me it's a Montana thing. I'm not sure what was in there. There's something blue. Huckleberry's a real berry? Really? I don't know if I'm a big huckleberry person or not, man. I'm, I'm not sure. I like the cookie, though. It was nice and soft. And uh, so did everybody load up on coffee or whatever? We're just letting everybody come back here. I'd play the piano, but the only song I know is Lean On Me. And... Uh, <laughs> She's just being honest with you, yeah? Huh? You can sing for us instead. Well, I, I only sing one or two lines well, then something happens to my voice. We'll sing one or two twice. Yeah. I go from bass to soprano in just like one line. I took voice lessons a few years ago, and, and uh, the lady said she had me sing a whole stanza of a song, and she said, two of the lines were really good. What happened? And I said, you're the voice lesson person. <laughs> But then the pandemic came, and so we're going to work on that later. <clears throat> Debbie doesn't think I have a chance. Don't you love it when your wife encourages you like that? I just know you, honey. 39 years is a long time to get to Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I do love you. How are you, brother? Amen. You know exactly where I'm coming from, don't you? Yeah. You know each other almost too well. So we talked about those traumas, and uh, I think we'll go into triggers. Dear God, be with us, Lord. Uh, we pray, help to open our eyes and 
Lord, if we see something that pertains to us, teach us something from that. We love you, Lord, and we need you. In Christ's name, amen. So we talked about that trauma. And again, the important reason to know the trauma is because you want to you wanna know what you've been through. And sometimes it's more than one. And sometimes things are a little bit hidden. Uh, so we have a friend of ours who just recently not only realized uh, she had PTSD from something, but there was something else in her life as well that was PTSD causing. And as she went around and started helping people, God opened that up for her as well, because then you can know what your triggers look like. So what, what's a trigger on a rifle like? We got some Army people. I just was talking to a fellow Army people. Hey, do, do we, veterans, how many Army veterans do we have here tonight? Yeah, by far the best looking people here. All right, any, any, any Marines? Any Marines? Any Marines? There we go. We got a Marine over here. Praise God, brother. Any Air Force? Air, I'm not going to pick on any Marines or any Air Force. Thank you. Coast Guard, Navy? Coast Guard first. Coast Guard. Any Coast Guard? Navy? Who are you pointing at over here? Not you. Okay. All right. Yeah, dependents, wives. That wife job is hard, that military spouse, wife or husband. That's a hard job, man. I, want, I wouldn't want that job. Um, yeah, so a trigger on any type of weapon, and we all know that, right, is when you pull that trigger, something explodes. And so when you pull the trigger, and, and I should have recognized everybody for different things, but we'll recognize first responders and stuff and things like that tomorrow. But when you think of a, a rifle, I remember it when I was at basic training in 1978, one of the big things was we had to look, before they'd even let us have an M16, we had to learn how to pull a trigger. And that seems real basic, and I'm like, what a waste of time. Here we are learning how to pull. Everybody knows how to pull a trigger, right? Boy, I was so wrong. And back then, so just learning how to just squeeze it. You don't pull a trigger, you squeeze it because it affects the outcome because there's an explosion that takes place. So you pull that trigger, it hits a firing cap or whatever it does, and an explosion takes place and a projectile flying about 5,000 feet a second comes out of that bad boy and can really hurt people. Well, triggers with PTSD are the same way. A trigger can really hurt people. It can, it, something explodes, it takes you back to the trauma. That's why the trauma is really important. So we remember that a trigger, we wanna know what our triggers are, and even if we keep, you know, no matter how much time goes by, I find that in my life, my triggers are much less and less. I'll tell you my PTSD story to close out here tonight in a little bit, maybe get some feedback from you guys. But I find in my life, I really know what my triggers look like and I try to stay away from them. You know, I know more and more what my triggers are like. And, and, and you know, sometimes it's people, um, certain types of people, certain types of things. Uh, like my sisters, my three sisters had all had one thing in common. They married the biggest losers I've ever met in my life, man. They, they had the market cornered on losers. I, I, I told my brother, if, we, if there was ever a position for hiring losers, all we're going to do is set our sisters out there. You know, they, they'd bring us the biggest losers of all. But uh, they did marry losers. He was a loser, yeah. She's sticking up for one of them. He's the least of the losers, you know? He was the less, lesser of the losers, but... Uh, yeah, well, my sister was no cakewalk. But anyway, here we are. Uh, so triggers, yeah. 
Our family, and, my, and Judy, she's tough, man. That's what I'm saying. Six feet tall. She used to beat people up. I remember this guy was giving me a hard time one time. She's like, my brother's home on leave from the army. She just beat him up. <laughs> and I let her. I, I thought it was kind of a good thing to watch. But anyway, but since then I've got saved and things have changed in my life. And I don't think anybody should beat anybody up. Uh, but we got to know what our triggers are because, again, something's going to blow up. And it's going to go back to that trauma. And, and triggers, on a very, very serious note, can cause flashbacks which can flash you back to a terrible thing that happened to you or a series of events that happened to you, right? So a flashback uh, in, is literally exactly what it sounds like. It's like watching a commercial of something that happened to us. So for me, and I'll, and I'll tell you the whole story in a minute, but for me, I would flash back to the event that caused my PTSD. Triggers can also, it can get even worse than that, it can bring you nightmares. Uh, some people just completely shut down, and, and there's a lot of different things that can happen through that. So we want to pay a lot of attention to triggers, and we want to keep a list of why am I having a really bad day today? What did I watch? What did I see? What did I say? Because again, the end game is to get better. So the you know the end game is to. People have been through some junk. There's some bad people in this world. I always tell people that 50% of the population are morons. But we're not, because we're here tonight. But it's, it's the other people. It's, and, uh, but I'm, I'm serious about that. There's so many people that hurt people and stuff. And so we want to find out what causes our triggers and stuff. The Bible teaches us that we're to put on the whole armor of God, that you may, may be able to stand against the wiles or the shots that the devil takes at us. So we put on the whole armor of God. So in basic training, we remember that we had to learn how to pull the trigger. Then they gave us an M16. An M16 week was really a weapon week, and 78 was a bad thing. I mean, you had to sleep with your M16. You had to be in a tent. Or, you know, you'd take a blanket and wrap it all around you, and you had to disassemble it, clean it, and put it back together in the dark. And, it, and you would, if somebody could pull that weapon away from you, you know, you were in trouble. And I mean, we used to sleep with our weapons and stuff. And what I did, my, my whole six foot, four and a half inch, 157 pound frame back then, I'd strap that thing around me. They could lift me right out of bed with it, but they're not taking it away from me. And I said, you know, when we get this done, we're gonna, you know, everything else is gonna be a cakewalk. But then we went, next week we started talking about armor. And they would always bring out things like your helmet. And they, would, they always had five or six helmets from Vietnam that had, you know, that saved somebody's life because the helmet was on, saved a bullet from striking someone in the head. And back then we used to wear lead vests. They were literally lead you'd stick in pockets and you'd zip them up and, and things of that nature. And they would show us vests with holes in the lead. Or, but those vests save lives. Those helmets save lives. And the whole armor of God saves us from going crazy. And, you know, we don't have to wear something, but we have to put on God every day. So every morning in my life, I mean, I don't, I don't spend a bukus of time. I don't have that kind of time. But my day starts every day with reading the Bible because I want to put on the whole armor of God because I know the wiles are coming. And for me, you know, the Bible says in the beginning, God, there's no specific time that God tells us to read his word. But for me, it's in the, I need it in the beginning because I wake up in that wrong place. The Apostle Paul said he had to pray daily. He had to die daily to the things of this world. And if Paul, if the apostle's got to die daily of the things of this world, well, certainly the rest of us do too. 
because you know those memories will come back and, and, and those things will come back. We, we just need to load God in, get up a little early, load God on top of our days and things of that nature. And so we want to talk about triggers. Next slide. So, you know, when you have PTSD, symptoms come and go. And uh, what we want to do is we want them to go. And, uh, and so these triggers come along. You may feel fine. A car may backfire, depending on what your PTSD was from. One of the biggest things in the military that people suffer from is military sexual trauma, uh, especially ladies. So things, as you can imagine, that go with military sexual trauma, it's alarming how much that happens. Uh, military sexual trauma with men is big now. Men on men. Uh, military sexual trauma with anybody. Sexual trauma, things like that. So anything that would remind you of that incident, the smell of alcohol, and we'll get into that a little bit more. And all those different things, all those things to flood back to you. Next slide. So certain triggers can set you off. And uh, so if you could imagine that if you suffer from a trigger from one particular thing or another, they can, they can set you off. They can take you back to um, that place, give you that flashback, give you those nightmares, give you those bad dreams. So we want to know our triggers. And, and then, but God gives us grace in that. He's given me grace with my triggers. Uh, the longer I serve him, you know, the more I trust him, the more I figure out what's going on with me, keep a journal, pray through things, look at things. God has given me grace. So... Um, I'll just basically give you my PTSD story at this point so you understand where I'm going with triggers. So I was at all places to get PTSD. It wasn't the helicopter accident. It was none of that weird stuff. I was at the United States Army Sergeant's Major Academy in uh, 1993. And while I was there, there was one guy in my class who was different than everybody else. And if you're old enough, who's old enough to remember Flip Wilson? This guy looked just like Flip Wilson. This guy had a smile so wide. I mean, you could fit a banana in this guy's face sideways. I mean, he, he had a, like four or five extra rows of teeth. I always admired people like that. He was just the most loving, wonderful man you ever met in your life. And you couldn't help but love this guy. You know, people who smile big all the time, live big, smile big, love big. That was Willie Vernon Watson. And if you type that name in the Internet, you'll see a picture of him. Uh, but Willie Vernon Watson... Uh, was just that guy. He made a difference in everybody else's life. And we were at the Sergeant Majors Academy, and every single day about 4.30 you'd get up. You'd get, uh, start your PT somewhere around 5.30 in the morning, and it was like training for the Olympics, man. Everybody there is going to become a Sergeant Major in the Army. Everybody there is going to, you know, you're exercising. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday we usually ran 10K, sometimes up to 10 miles. We were just ultra-competitive, silly people, you know. And, uh, and then we would have class after running and doing all our working out. And Tuesdays and Thursdays, we did speed training and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I was the guy that they gave the 12-gauge shotgun to with birdshot in to make sure that rattlesnakes would stay away from people in the desert out there at Fort Bliss. And I got to shoot a lot of rattlesnakes, even the ones that weren't there. I enjoyed that 12-gauge. <laughs> had a roadrunner one day that had an attitude problem with me, and we... We ushered him into the afterlife. But anyway, he kept pecking at me. He was chasing me around. It was freaking me out, man. You know what messed me up, though, on a completely different sign of, a change of things? Do you know? So, so you have a roadrunner, and then what was, it? what was the other thing? One was a roadrunner. What was the other thing there? Okay, now this is true. Look it up. A coyote is faster than a roadrunner. Mm-hmm. See? You've been messed up by that before, too, haven't you? <laughs> so irrelevant things like that. 
mess people up with PTSD. And uh, so anyway, we were, we were going through the Sergeant Major Academy. Willie was different. Willie was great. Willie was better. And one day, you know, you'd work till 5 or 6 o'clock at night, and you'd go home, step to 1 in the morning doing your research and work, and you'd start it over, over and over again. Everybody was tired. Everybody was hungry all the time. Everybody was beat up. And I went to class one day, and these guys just basically started fighting with each other. And I was the class. We had 466 people for the whole class, and we had this small base group of 17 people. And these two guys just started getting in a fist fight and stuff, and I jumped in between them, and I, I broke up the fight. And I looked over at Willie, and there he was with that million-dollar smile. He loved big, acted big, smiled big. I love people like that, man. And, uh, and, I, said, and I turned around, and I got everybody settled down before the uh, instructor came in. And I said, Willie, I said, how come, how come you're not like the rest of us? How come you're not hating each other and fighting each other and miserable with each other and treating everybody bad? And I never forgot what Willie said. Willie said, because if I died right now, I'd know for sure I was going to heaven. And uh, I'll tell you, that was no one's ever said that to me before. And as a former altar boy, uh, you know, Catholic, any former Catholics around here? Yeah. I knew you were messed up, you know. <laughs> the sound girl. You know. I'm the sound girl, not the media girl. But uh, anyway, I was an altar boy for a short time. I, got, I found, the, uh, found out there was wine back there. So about nine years old, I'd get hammered to be like, started doing the stuff the priest did, and they fired me. But when Willie, when Willie told me that, and uh, yeah, I, for some reason my Latin got better the more wine I had. And, and uh, but I went home and I told Debbie that night on October 14th, 1990, and I, and I love Catholic folks, and uh, so does God. And, but I went home on October 14th, 1993, and I told Debbie, man, Willie is a Jesus freak. And uh, she was like, oh, boy. And I said, yeah, man. He said, and then October 15th came up, and we had a PT test the next morning where you, uh, you had to do as many push-ups as you can in two minutes without stopping. And you have a 10-minute break. Then you have to do as many sit-ups as you can in two minutes without stopping. Then you have at least a 10-minute break, and you go to a two-mile run. And that morning, we went and did push-ups. Now, everybody at the Sergeant Majors Academy is at the top of their ball game being a soldier. Everybody's been in a bunch of years. Everybody's, a PT was automatic. You know, after about five, six, eight years in the military, a PT test is like another day. You know, you just show up and you just do whatever you gotta do. Everybody who stays in a long time, you know, you're thin, you're flying through PT tests, whatever the case may be, everything happens really well. And that morning we went in and we did push-ups and that was my event. I was a push-up guy and back then I was really good at push-ups. And as a matter of fact, when Debbie married me, I had a 52-inch chest and a 32-inch waist. I spent way too much time at the gym, you know. And, uh, but anyway, we were doing push-ups out there and, uh, and I, you would tell people, if you're going to do more than 100 push-ups in two minutes, you would tell people, get a second grader. You know, I want somebody else. I don't want to lose because you want to win an award. You know, so you have to do 42 to pass. And then for every one you do after 42, you get an extra point. And the goal is to get 100 points. So passing 60 points, and if you do 40 more push-ups, it's 100 points. And you want 300 points because you get to wear a special patch. And, and you want to wear a patch, especially guys who've been in a long time and girls. They all want to wear the patch saying, hey, I'm the real deal. You know, I've been in a long time. And uh, well, anyway, to make a long story short, I did my push-ups. I did 104. I had two graders. 
or 100 and something like that. Somebody, and it wasn't that great because somebody did like 132 or something like that, so I didn't win any award or anything. But I remember I got up and I was over there, and, and you kind of hurt, you know, when you do, it doesn't matter how many you do, if you're not, if you do as many as you can do, it hurts a little bit. So you're over there and you're kind of stretching out, getting ready for sit-ups, and someone ran up to me and said, did you hear about Willie? And I said, no, what's going on with Willie? And they said, well, Willie failed his PT test. He failed his push-ups. And I said, no, he didn't. No one fails a push-up here at the Sergeant Major's Academy. And he said, no, he said, no, it doesn't feel well. He failed them. So I kind of went looking for him. And then we did a sit-ups. And sit-ups wasn't my event, but I got the 100 points. And we got ready to go to two-mile run. And we were walking in the desert there from the gym to the start point of the, uh, the track. It was a one-mile track, had to run it twice. They had it laid out there in the desert. And uh, as we walked there, to my shame, I told Willie, I said, listen, Willie, I said, don't worry about it. I'll tell everybody, you know, they didn't grade you fairly, and uh, you'll get another PT test or something like that. And Willie said something to me. Now, again, I wasn't a Christian. Willie said, Christians don't lie. I'll never forget that. Boy, isn't that the truth? We don't lie. We can't lie. And so I went out there. I did the two-mile run, and I had a good run. Again, I wanted that 100 points. And to get 100 points, I needed like 13 minutes and 20 seconds on my two miles or something like that. And I was a 14-minute guy, and so I really had to push that day. And that day was a really good day, but I wanted to patch. And so I, came, I was coming in well, real close to 12 minutes. It was just a really good day. And, and I was thanking God for it. And I even let a car pull in front of me. Everybody at the PT test, everybody at the finish line was screaming at me, you knucklehead. But I knew I had already had the 100 points. And I got in, I got a glass of water, I waited for Willie, and Willie came in about 17 minutes. And he still passed, because he was older. You know, it depends on your age, how fast you gotta run to get 60 points. And I think I had to run in 17.15 or something. Willie probably was 17.30. And uh, Willie and I started walking back to the gym, and I handed him a glass of water, we drank water, and we just started walking back to the gym, and we had a bunch of special forces guys in our little group of 17, like half of them were special forces. I had to go pick some of these guys up, they had full beards and stuff, they were coming from South America, they didn't have uniforms. Uh, I mean, it, honestly, it looked like the, uh, you know, a mob was in there or something, like we were gonna go rob something, I mean. Everybody really tried to fit into that South American drug culture. These guys also, they're speaking Spanish in the car, and, and I'm like, you know, stop that, you know. So, but, uh, but anyway, I said, I'm going to go find those special forces people. And I said, I'm going to grab a hold of them and say, look, you snake eaters, I got a 302. We're all going to wear the same patch. And we actually get extended scores. Once you go beyond 300 points, I think I ended up with 390 points or something like that. So I wanted to go see how many points they got. And... Uh, but anyway, Willie started laughing, and then he fell down. And I remember he hit the ground, and his body kind of went up a little bit. And, and I just kicked him, and I said, Willie, get up. Get up, Willie. And Willie didn't move. And so I, I quickly flipped him over. And what I did, his eyes were open, and he had sand on both of his eyeballs. And he had a cut on his lip. And I immediately, you know, you know, CPR, you go through, I had been through combat life-saving course. I'd been through a lot of different courses through the years in the Army. And uh, I immediately, there was some medics and stuff not too far from me, and I was screaming, medic! And they waved to me, you know. They gave me the single, and when they did, I, I immediately, you know, you clear out the air passage. I felt a little bit of a pulse, but that's what happens as you start losing, you know, the air leaves your lungs or whatever. And I cocked his head back, and I dug right down deep in his throat, and there was no gag. 
But again, you're looking for something stuck. And, uh, and no gag reflux at all. And uh, I just went in and started giving him CPR. And I was waiting for the medics to come up and I'd, you know, breasts, holding his nose, head cocked back, giving him breasts of life. And every time I'd give him a breath, his blood would pump into my mouth and on my uniform and on my PT uniform. And then I'd go down and I'd give him his compressions. And this probably lasted only a minute or so because another guy ran up and it was a friend of mine. And he said, I'm a nurse. Let me do the compressions. You're already bloody. And I didn't even think about the blood. You know, at that point, I'm just trying to save this guy who was bigger than life to me. You know, a guy that I'd pay money to have as a neighbor. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so he said, you just give the brass. I'll do the compressions. I'll do the counting. We're still waiting for the medics at this point. And I can remember spitting out his blood. Uh, I can remember we just couldn't get him to breathe. And I mean, the nurse was pounding his chest. And uh, a friend of mine, Ted Kaiser, Teddy Kaiser, was pounding his chest and, and, uh, and, and all that. And we just couldn't get him to breathe. I'd give him breaths of life. Then finally, the medics showed up, and they tubed him. And they, they hooked him up to a bag, you know, where they could give him breaths through the bag of air. And, uh, and then finally, an ambulance pulled up like 10 minutes later. 15, we just read the report last year, 15 minutes later or something. And the weirdest thing ever is go get a report of what actually happened to make sure my memories were right. And, uh, and the ambulance was like 10 or 15 minutes. The whole time we gave him CPR. You know, the whole time we were working on him. And you don't think about all these things. You're just trying to save a man's life. You know, somebody you love, somebody you care about. And when the ambulance showed up, a doctor gave out, you know, and they gave him epinephrine or epi, and they gave him all kinds of stuff. And they were hitting him with paddles. And Willie wouldn't breathe. And I remember I was screaming at the doctor, keep on doing it till he gets to the hospital. Keep on doing it. I remember they loaded him in the ambulance. And it was a big glass window on the side of that army ambulance. And I was looking through the glass window, and I saw them all sit down. And I saw the ambulance take off, and I realized at that point that Willie was gone. I remember standing there saying to myself, they just gave up. And, you know, but at this point, they had tried for five minutes. We had 15 minutes into them. So we're 20 minutes into a session of trying to keep Willie alive or to get Willie to breathe. And I just had blood all over my shirt. I was drenched, had blood all over my face. And a buddy of mine pulled up with his car, a guy in class. I didn't know him well. His name was Glenn. He said, get in a car. And he said, Doug, we need, we're about the same size. We need to trade shirts. And, and uh, he said, you're all full of blood. And he said, I'm going home. I live right over here, and I live nine miles up the road or something. I went to the gym to shower. And literally, I wasn't even thinking. I just took off my shirt because I didn't want people to see Willie's blood. And I handed him the shirt, and I said, destroy that shirt. And he said, nobody will ever see this shirt, Doug. And then he stopped the car. He just kind of pulled off the road. And uh, he put his arm around me and said, can I pray for you? Yeah. You know, no one had ever prayed for me up to that point that I knew of, you know, not as an adult or anything like that, and he, he stopped the car, and, and uh, he said, God, you know, we love you, we need you. And he said, would you use what happened to Willie for your glory? I never heard anyone. And he said, Lord, I beg you, if Doug's not saved, would you save him? And I'm sitting in the car, and I don't know what to do. The day before, I was going through the Jesus freak stuff with Willie and going home and telling Debbie, and this next day, here I am crying. And this guy's praying for me. And he takes me over to the gym and he says, Doug, listen, they're going to be looking for you, the MPs and CID, and everybody's going to be looking for you. You need to go clean up. 
And uh, I remember, I, I think he might even give me his towel. I don't remember. But I remember I walked into the gym and I was trying to get the blood off my face. I kept saying, do I have blood on my face? And they stopped me at the counter and they pulled out this rubbing alcohol and they were just scrubbing my face raw, trying to get the blood off my face and my lips. And, and there's a taste. We don't think about that, but there's a taste with blood. It's got this metallic taste to it, you know? And uh, I can still remember that taste and the stickiness on my teeth and everything. And I remember I went in the locker room, finally after they scrubbed everything off my face with the alcohol, I went into the locker room and they kicked everybody out. This Navy SEAL was there, uh, people going through the Sergeant Major Academy with me. And this Navy SEAL was the biggest jokester in the world. Um, just kind of took over the locker room and him and a couple other guys kicked everybody out. And they said, let's give Doug a couple minutes. And, and I mean, it was like there was something wrong with me. People are helping me shower, you know. They're standing outside my shower stall. You need more soap? You need anything, Doug? And wrapping me up with towels. And I'm like, God, what just happened? And I remember, you know, I got my uniform on. And I went back over to the Sergeant Major's Academy. And everybody else came back in the locker room. And everybody's hugging me. And I'm just trying to get away from everybody. You know, when trauma happens, our instinct is to get away from everybody. But, you know, we, 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 God built us for these interpersonal relationships and uh, work with other people. We're going to see as we go through healing tomorrow morning that it's pretty important that we have other people in our life, the right kind of other people, you know. And uh, I, I remember I got back over to the building, and sure enough, the MPs and CID was looking for me, and I filled out this statement that Debbie and I just read, along with other people, and we all filled it out the same way. The good news is we all saw everything the same way. And even the ambulance man said he pulled up and he saw us working on Willie and all those things. And... Um, they made us go identify the body. I said, listen, I don't need to identify the body. I just, you know, I was just with them. But they, so the colonel and I, the guy in charge of the Sergeant Major's Academy and me, we, we got in the car and we went over and had a look at the body and said, yeah, that's our friend Willie. And while we were doing that, people were notifying his family that Willie was no longer with us. And all these things are going through my head. And, and we go back over to, to the, and by the time we get back from identifying his body and bringing uniforms and trying to do as much as we could to be a blessing. You know, we ran over the PX and, and I think the Colonel bought him a new pair of boots and just trying to make everything look good, you know. And uh, I remember that uh, we wanted to get him out of his PT gear and they were scrubbing him and we were helping him. It was just the most bizarre events that happened over the next couple hours that, that it just didn't seem real to me. And, you know, and we wanted to be there with our friend. You know, they're like, okay, you identified him, you can go. And Colonel's like, hey, can we stay and hold him and, and help you? And, uh, and so by the time I get back over to the Sergeant Major's Academy, they already got a memorial service. They already got a funeral planned. And so we go over there, and his chaplain got up, and he talked about gravestones being worn out by sand. And didn't talk about anything else besides that. He was way off base. And so at the end of that, uh, I was just, I couldn't understand why he didn't talk about God. I, I didn't know anything. You know, Willie told me he knew for sure he was going to heaven. I didn't know any of those things. And uh, my leader came up to me, and they, we were the last ones left in the gym. We waited in the gym. We all had our hats on. We were standing, we had, you know, we were standing next to his weapon, his helmet, and stuff like that. And we were representing him uh, as our group, and everybody filed by us and gave condolences to us. And again, all this was unreal to me. I was just like, way too much stuff happened in a short period of time for me. And uh, um, 
I just remember my leader came up to me and said, I want you to talk to the chaplain. I said, I don't want to talk to him. He just talked about gravestones after Willie died. And he said, he said, Doug, this is a different one. And he knows God. And he can really help you. And I remember this guy sat down and everybody left the room. It was just this guy and I. And uh, he said to me, he said, Doug, is there any questions I can answer for you? His name was Chaplain Kennedy. And I said, yes, sir. I said, you can tell me why Willie died and, and not me. And uh, he said, Doug, I can't answer that question for you. He said, but one day, you know, God can maybe if he chooses to. He said, but let me ask you a question, Doug. He said, if you were the one who died, would you know for sure you're going to heaven? And I said, no, nobody can. And he showed me that great verse over in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you. Wow, show me right there. If you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may have, and, and nobody had ever showed that to me before. And then over the next few minutes, he shared the gospel with me. He said, first thing you need to know is you're a sinner. Show me from God's word that we're, there are none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us are sinners. He said, we all fall short of the glory of God. He, he even went a little bit further than that. goes into 1 John and shows me that if we say we have no sin, he, he's not in us and we make him a liar. And, and, and nobody had ever shared any of that stuff with me my whole life. And he told me, because of sin, Willie died. He said, you're a sinner, and then there's a price on sin. And he says, this morning you saw that price, Doug, and it's a hard one. But he said, Willie knew he was going to heaven. And he said, the wages of sin is death. He said, Willie died. As long as there's sin in this world, people are going to die. As long as there's death in this world, we got sin. And... Uh, and then he told me, but Christ paid that price. I'll never forget Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. And uh, I can remember, he said, Doug, you can know this stuff, but you've got to do something with it because the Bible says you must speak it with your mouth and believe it with your heart. And he said, we need to pray. You need to ask God to save you. Well, believe it in your heart. He says, do you want to go through this again? I said, I said sir, I need this. I need this. And I can still remember him saying, well, just ask Christ to save you. Believe it in his name. And anyway, I sat down and I said a prayer. And I can remember leaning down and he had given me a little Bible. Uh, and, and, and I remember I, as I was praying, I could feel the chaplain's tears hitting the back of my head. He was just bawling. And uh, so I thought, man, everything's all better. You know, I've been through this day, but then I just had this religious thing. So I'm on my way home. So I go home. So I got saved. And like, I don't know, we went back to the classroom, our little group. Everybody else had already left. We, you know, we had a special forces guy get up and say, he's dead. It's over. Mission goes on. Then we had another guy say, well, no, we've got to be compassionate to Doug. Then another guy said, I'm mad, you know, and everybody was getting through their fear and stuff. And again, all that stuff was adding up. I was just ready to go home. And they, so finally... Uh, we just went home. And I remember I got home and they had given me, that chaplain gave me a business card and said, this is your pastor. A guy named Bob Stewart, Hillcrest Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas. And, and I remember I got home and I called him. I got home with Debbie and I, I walked in the house and said, you know, you're a sinner, but I'm saved. I don't remember. I don't remember what I said. I got pretty self-righteous. But anyway, I called. I'd been saved like five seconds, you know, five minutes or something. But, okay, so I called this guy, Bob Stewart. I said, you need to get over here. And uh, he says, what's wrong? I said, I'm living with a reprobate. <laughs> and uh, he, he stopped and he said, 
who's this? And I said, this is Doug. He said, Doug, how long have you been saved? When did you get saved? I said, what time is it, Pastor? He told me, he said, are you the guy who was with the guy who died this morning? I said, yeah. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. But he says, we're going to stop calling our wives reprobates. And uh, he says, he says, we're going to love your wife. What's her name? I said, it's Debbie. And Debbie's like sitting back like, you know. And I mean, here I am talking about her salvation and stuff, you know. She's eyeballing me, man. And her, her Catholic Jesus Freak Monitor was on pretty big, too. And Anyway, he said, I'm going to come to the house, but we're going to stop calling your wife names, and we're going to love her, we're going to pray for her. Sure enough, about 20 minutes later, this guy shows up with a cowboy hat about it. It's the stupidest-looking thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was way too big for him. But anyway, uh, he shows up, calls me outside. We prayed for Debbie, and he, I remember him crying for Debbie. We went in the house, and Debbie didn't get saved. But I'll never forget what he told her. He said, I love you, and my church loves you. You can come to church. It's a safe place. We're not going to pick on you. We're not going to bother you. Just come. God will lead you. And this is my wife's number. This is my number. And I'm the pastor. We leave our phones on all the time. You can call anytime. We're used to people waking us up in the middle of the night. It was just so laid back about it, you know. We're used to calls at 3 in the morning. Try it. Give us a call tonight. It's all right. We'll answer. And I'm like, wow, this guy's different than anyone else I ever met, you know. And nine months later, it's a different story. Anyway, Debbie got saved nine months later. But something happened where as time went by, I'd had these dreams. My heart would start racing. You know, PTSD causes you to be a little bit hypervigilant. Causes you not to trust people. That's one of the most terrible things about PTSD is you don't trust the people who you should trust the most. People who love you, take care of you, looking to help you. And uh, so it just went on. And, you know, we moved churches. We moved around. Once in a while, I'd get nightmares. I'd get headaches. I wouldn't sleep. Um, and then one day I just realized I was in Bible and so I was somewhere doing something. And I just said, I believe, you know, God's word's all sufficient. I believe God can help me. And I really started seeking help. And from those notes, we wrote that first book. So that's, but there were triggers. I had triggers in my life. Like I had given like gallons and gallons of blood. I kept winning tests, you know, a pint at a time. I was one of those guys from the time I joined the Army, whenever they came around and said, you can give blood at the PX today, I was the guy in line. And now all of a sudden, anything blood reminded me. I'd get that taste in my mouth. You know, they'd draw my blood, I'd look the other way for the first time. But, but God, he gives grace. And now I give blood, I'm like, hey, move over a little bit that way, you know? I mean, God has given me that much grace for it. That was my trial. And I had to get through it. I had to have other people help me. There was a ton of people help me through it. And in God's word, people helped me. You know, and that's what we, we need, community, but triggers. So some of those triggers, so my triggers were blood, ambulances, people on the floor. And if anyone's going to, like, almost die or something, Debbie and I are there. I'm telling you. We can be on a trip somewhere, and they're like, aisle three, someone's down. I was in Lowe's at Father's Day. Debbie bought me a smoker, a little pellet smoker, and there was this dude over my house. I was so happy. I said, here's a guy. He's at my house, and he's going to help me get this. So we go over, and we get this pellet smoker for Father's Day, and uh, 
we load it on, I'm standing at Lowe's and I'm saying, yeah, I want that pellet smoker over there in aisle three. And talk. This guy comes up and says, there's a lady passed out on the floor. And I'm like, here it goes again. So everybody's running away from the women, the women and stuff. And I'm like, call 911. And you know, they're calling the manager. He's like, I don't know what to do. And uh, somebody better go check on her. And I'm like, here we go. Uh, thank God there was nothing bad with her. Uh, but she woke up and she's like, who are you? I said, I was at the counter. I bought a smoker. <laughs> Everybody else were in the other way. I thought I'd hang out with you for a little while. <laughs> I'm Doug. And uh, she said, I'm Marie. I said, hey, Marie, you're having a bad day. You passed out here. How's your head feel? Not very good. I said, it's all right. You're not bleeding anywhere. I felt all around there. And uh, it's OK. You know, you got a pulse. Things are cool. <laughs> you, you know, you're not in heaven or anything. It's all right. Well, probably would have been better if she was in heaven. So these triggers, so, but I got to tell you, 10 years ago, I would have been gone with that. You know what? I would have ran out the door first. I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, if Debbie was here, she'd be selling elevator feet, put her head up, you know, make sure her neck's not broken, feel around there, you know, can't do this. Hey, you got a bleeder down there? You know, it's like, and, uh, but I tell you, those triggers, I would have been out for a week, just being honest, just being honest. Next slide. Well, it's great to be back with you guys. I appreciate you hanging with this long session today, and we got more coming this week. Sorry about the hum. If we could do anything to help you, make sure you find us on Helpful Wounded Spirits Facebook page, or you just go over and drop me a note on Doug at WoundedSpirits.com. May God bless you. We look forward to having you with us again tomorrow. May God bless you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It is very important to all of us at Help for Wounded Spirits that you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear with a simple salvation message. You can know today. First, you're a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, there's a price on sin, for the wages of sin is death. Third, Jesus paid that price for you. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lastly, you must speak it with your mouth, and believe it with your heart, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart, and he will. Please contact us if we can help you in any way. God bless you. Doug and Stephanie, thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources, more information, or to donate to help this vital ministry, visit us at Wounded Spirits.